Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please do remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is uh, part two, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 8. We uh, focus mostly on verses 1 to 9. Last week, we're going to be focusing mostly on verses 10 through 22 and trying to draw out uh, some principles uh, about the civil government for our application. So, uh, but we will read all of 1 Samuel chapter 8. That's verses 1 through 22. So please give your attention now to the reading of God's Word. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look! You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all of the nations. But the, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties and will set some to, to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's uh, go to the Lord once again in uh, prayer. Father, we do pray that you would give us wisdom to understand what your word teaches about these things and the reason why it was such a great sin for the people to ask for a king like all the nations. And Lord, grant us the wisdom to see 
the temptation to do so in our day, that we uh, might not unwittingly turn away from you by looking to the government to solve all of our, our problems. Uh, we pray that you would grant us the grace to be wise, grant us the grace to resist the temptations of the devil, and grant us the grace, O Lord, to be obedient to you in all things. For we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I, I sort of feel like before a sermon like this that I need to uh, give something of a defense about uh, what I am trying to do. It is often said that politics need to be out of the pulpit, and this is, this is of course, true. Uh, but it's important to note that um, it is it's not true in an absolute sense. Uh, we don't endorse political candidates. Uh, we we uh, don't support public policies. We're not primarily a political institution. We recognize the kingdom of Christ is not a political movement, that the kingdom of God is not a God of this world. It's a, 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 a kingdom of this world. It is a kingdom uh, in heaven. And thus we see uh, Christ even submitting to the civil authorities in his day. And this is instructive for us in terms of what we are to understand uh, about what should and should be not be done in the church. However, uh, Given all of those things, uh, it is also true that the Bible does in fact address some things related to the civil government. And where the Bible speaks, we are obligated to obey. And uh, therefore it is right, it is actually right and good that uh, a civil government pattern, its, its, its own uh, structure, institution, its own authority, on the teachings of Scripture, that that's actually something that is right and good. Now, we, we would admit even further that there are far fewer commands for the civil government. There is, there is uh, much less instruction for the civil government than there is, say, for the church. Uh, the institution of the church is, is set by Christ himself with him as the head. Many things in the civil government have been left to natural law, many things. And yet, we recognize that there are, in fact, things that the Scriptures say about the civil government, that the civil government is obligated to submit itself to, that there is, there is in fact a way for us to sin and sin grievously with regard to the kind of government that we have. And this is what's happening here. There is a certain, which is what we looked at last week if you remember, there is a certain form of government that the people ask for and the asking for that form of government is considered to be idolatry. Now it's not so much a, a political issue at this point, it's just we, we don't want to serve idols. And there is a, a, an obligation for a government to recognize the, the greater superiority of God himself. One example of this would be Romans chapter 13, where Paul argues that God has put the sword into the hand of the civil government in order to punish uh, the wicked and to reward the righteous. So this is something that, that has always been understood in, in, the, in the Reformed Church, uh, to, to be instruction about the nature of the power of the civil government. It's different from the power of the church. Nowhere in the Bible does God put the sword in the hands of the church, but he does put it in the hands of the civil government. Therefore, we understand that when the, the government exercises its power of the sword, it is being obedient to the Bible, and there is an obligation for it to be obedient to the Bible. This was recognized in our, in, uh, in our own government uh, so many years ago when we uh, see and, you know, in dollar bills and whatever else and documents of, of the government uh, that we are one nation under God. Uh, that, was, that was something that was important. It was, there, was a, there was a theological point that's being made, that there is a higher authority than the government to which the government must subject uh, itself. Uh, now, this is the reason why the uh, Reform Two Kingdoms position is wrong. This is why it's wrong on this particular point. The Reform Two Kingdoms, if you're familiar with this, uh, teaches that there are two wholly separate kingdoms, and there, there is a sense in which the church is separate from the civil government. There's the, the kingdom of Christ, and there, then there's you know, the kingdom of the civil authorities. And uh, what they say, though, is that they basically don't interact with each other, that there is 
God has given natural law and natural law only uh, to the civil government. Therefore, the government has no obligation to look to the scriptures to understand uh, its own positions and uh, to justify the way in which it makes its laws. And, uh, you know, we just, we just do it according to the light of nature apart from uh, the scriptures. Uh, this is not the way, though, that... Um, that the Reformed Church has historically understood that this relationship, as we'll have time to uh, mention a bit later, uh, Samuel Rutherford famously wrote the, the book Lex Rex, which is every, many people recognize as a classic book on, on limited government. But if you read that book, what you'll see is he's arguing for limited government, a political position, and he is only doing it on the basis of the exposition of Scripture. And he doesn't even try to justify it. He just says, the Bible teaches limited government. With this argument from the Bible, 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 therefore the limited government is in fact the revealed form of government in the scriptures and every nation is obligated to have a limited government in the way described in the scriptures. So with, with all of that as, as, a, as an introduction, the, the thing to understand is that uh, we, are, we are to understand uh, the, even the civil government in light of the teachings of the scripture. We don't have as many teachings, but we do have teachings. The government sins when it does not submit itself to the teachings of the scripture. God is the one who has put the sword in the hand of the civil government. They must recognize that and submit themselves to him, that they cannot just do whatever they want because they are under the authority of God. Now, as this relates to, to this particular text, uh, you, you remember that we saw last week that Israel wanted a king like all the nations, and we saw that this was idolatrous. God had uh, understood this request for a king like the nations to be uh, the same kind of sin as the golden calf, the Baal of Peor, the apostasy of the times of the judges. And the reason, as we, we saw last week, was because the kings of the nations uh, were gods. They, they were like gods to the people, and therefore to turn to a king like all the other nations is in fact to turn away uh, from God. And what we said was uh, the implication is that some forms of government are inherently uh, idolatrous. And, uh, and today, what we're going to be looking at is it's not only the case that uh, these forms of government are idolatrous, but also there is a lack of wisdom in them, uh, that these forms of government that are inherently asking for a king like all the nations, and we'll, we'll get into a little bit more about what that means, uh, but uh, those forms of government uh, also lead to tyranny. They lead to tyranny. That's the principle that is being spoken of in 1 Samuel chapter 8. They lead to tyranny, and therefore, we can actually say the Bible teaches a, a, a biblical form of government, that the valid biblical form of government, which is not sinful, is a limited form of government. And all other forms of government, a non-limited form of government is in fact sinful. It is not right for people to ask for such a kind of government. Now, we're going to look at this uh, under two headings. We're going to look at the, uh, how having a government like the nations leads to tyranny. And we see this mostly from the text itself, particularly in verses 10 to 18, uh, which is then followed by the people's hardness. And then we're going to, to draw out the conclusion, which is that the biblical form of government is, in fact, a limited government. Um, so look with me again then. As I mentioned, we, we really looked um, mostly at verses 1 to 9. Uh, last week. Now we're going to focus mostly on verses 10 through 22. You'll notice that this is set up in verse 9, uh, where God tells Samuel to tell the people 
to speak to them about the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Now, this word for behavior is actually the same word for judgment. And what we see in the text is that the people were looking for a king who would be able to judge them and give them sound judgment. And the point that Samuel's making is, is, well, if you want judgment, this is the kind of judgment that the king is, in fact, going to give to you. And then in verses 10 through 18, uh, you'll notice that the, the main point that is being made is its tyranny, that you were free, you were free before, and now you will be slaves. That is, that is what you will get always when you look for a king like all the nations. If you want a government like all the nations, a government that is itself promising to be your God in the sense of it is going to care for you, it is going to care for you in your old age, it's going to care for you when you're sick, it's going to fix all the problems of poverty, it's going to create a utopia on earth. A government that seeks to promise that sort of thing, that, that sort of government will always lead to tyranny. It will lead to uh, tyranny. And this is what we see. So, for instance, uh, what, what the king will do, Samuel says, he will conscript your sons for his army. Others he will put to plow in his fields. He will force your daughters to serve the king as performers and cu uh, per per perfumers, cooks and bakers. Verse 13, he will take the best of your property uh, from the people for himself, for himself and give them to his own servants. Verse 14, he will even take a tithe from the people just as God did. This is one of the things that shows that the king is actually being put in the place of God. The king will demand a tithe just as God demands a tithe. He will then take your male and your female servants from others and conscript them for himself. Verse 16, and he will be so exacting with regard to this tithe that even your sheep Every, everything that you own will be subject to this tithe, and he will take uh, from you uh, all of it. Thus is the way it is in all the other nations who have kings that promise their people everything if you will but give them power. And what God says is, is that when that happens, there will be consequences for that decision. Verse 18, you will then cry out to me. You will see all this tyranny. You will cry out, and I will not hear you. I will not hear you. Now, you'll notice that what some, one of the things that's incredibly sad about this whole scenario is that this tyranny did not come in by force. It does not come in by force. It comes in through God blinding the hearts of apostates who then ask for it. They ask for the government. They are deceived by Satan himself and it leads to great death. This is what we see in verses 19 through 22. What, what, what do the people see? They hear all these things. The word of God, God's great prophet who gave them this wonder, wonderful deliverance from the Philistines. They hear uh, this judge who has been so faithful and good to them as he will testify of himself in chapter 12. This prophet declares to them, you will have tyranny. You will cry out and I will not hear you. God will not hear you. He will leave you in your tyranny. And what do they say in verses 19 to 22? No. But we will have a king like all the nations. We, we, we want it. We ask for it. And we demand that you give it to, it, uh, to us. Notice as well the justification for this hardness of heart. Uh, notice what they are falling back on. What they believe this king will do. No. We want a king like all the, uh, all the other nations. That our king may judge us. Go out before us and fight our battles. There is something that inherently God has promised to do, and the people say, we're going to rely on a human government to give to us the things that God has promised to provide for us. That, that, that is fundamentally what is happening. We, 
we're, we're, we are going to move forward anyway because the promises the government is making to us about the way in which they are going to care for us, we will be at peace. There will be no more wars. All these other nations, look, they live at peace. They've got strong and mighty armies. And what do we have? We've got these, these small armies. Gideon fights with only 300 men. Maybe he won through the power of God, but is that really sustainable? We, we, we want a king like all the other nations because he will fight our battles. He will save us. He will produce the utopia that we so long for. Uh, brothers and sisters, we, we saw last week that uh, many of those who are, argue for a particular form of government today that is, would, would be considered uh, a stronger and more centralized government, that they, they often, in fact, do argue for this uh, using these exact arguments. They're, you know, if you give us power... These are the kinds of things the government will be able to do for you. There'll be the eradication of poverty, the eradication of oppression. Everyone will have uh, all kinds of health care. Uh, everyone will be cared for even in their old age. We can do all that for you. We, we can promise all of those things for you. And then they say, look, the other nations are doing it. We, the, the, the pitch is exactly the same. Would it not be good for us to have a government like all the other nations, a government that cares for its people, a government that is, is able to provide for all of its people? And the point that Samuel's making is this, is that such a government is always an oppressive government. It will always lead to oppression. The pitch is this, you give us the power, we will provide for you. But once the government has power, such that it is no longer subject to God or believes itself not to be subject to God. It does not recognize a law over itself that limits it. Once the government gets into that position, the sinfulness of man demands that there will, in fact, be tyranny, that that power will be abused, that all opposition will be crushed, and the result will be a terrible slaughter. And we see even just in the course of history uh, so many very clear and obvious uh, parallels to this. And I'm, I'm not even a... a particularly great student of history. I think it's uh, interesting and, and, and cool to know things. I'm sure many of you will, will be able to multiply the examples of the things I'm given. But if you were to, if you were to look at things like uh, Hitler's Germany in the 20th century, Stalin's Russia, Mao's China, what do, they, what do they all have in common? A strong government that forgot God, where the government took the place of God, such that the government was not accountable to anyone. It was given all the power. It promised to be a savior to its people. The people very often voted for this. They, they asked for it when they were deceived. And the result was tyranny. The result in every case was millions of people dying under that rule. Cry out to God and God says, you chose this. You chose this. There will be consequences for your choice. And that is exactly what Samuel is saying uh, now. This is, this is the thing that shows that it's not... Um, it's not the case when we look at those kinds of examples in history that there are, we're, we're to think that there are certain, uh, you know, bad apples who are uh, reigning in the government. And if we just had the right people in those positions of power and we, we gave them all the power, we, 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 uh, they, they could promise to, to do things for us. And, you know, surely there's going to be someone who's going to be faithful and we give them the power and then, you know, they'll be able to actually execute uh, uh, the promises that they have uh, promised to the people. The point that Samuel making is that this is a general principle. The government uh, that is looked to to be the savior of the people will in the end be a government that oppresses uh, its people. And therefore, brothers and sisters, one of the things that we can say is that it is wrong. It is wrong for us as a country to ask for such a government. The asking for such a government is evidence of apostasy. It is evidence of idolatry. And God, it is part of the judgment of God on us when we vote for that sort of government. There, there will be consequences to pay. And in that time, there will be real consequences that may not be averted. That, that God, in fact, uh, may pour out a great judgment on us. As, uh, as we ask uh, for such a government 
being deceived uh, by Satan. Uh, you know, many will say things like, you know, we want to follow Europe. Um, you know, you, this or that European country is able to do all these things. But brothers and sisters, if you just consider the, the spiritual state of Europe is terrible. Um, it's perhaps even worse than, than us. Why would we want to be like Europe? Why would we want to be like those nations? They're in great decline. They're in spiritual decline, and they're in decline in every other measure. Uh, they are in decline. And what we are to do is to say, no, we will, we will follow God. We will trust in Him. The things that God has promised to give to us, we simply do not need the government to provide those things for us. We trust in God. And it's always going to be a better form of government where the government does not try to overstep and to provide those things uh, for the people. Now, uh, what this all implies, then, is the second point, which is that the biblical form of government is, in fact, a limited government. This is the conclusion that we're to draw from this, that the, the prescribed form of government in the Bible is a limited government. And we saw this last week, particularly with the Deuteronomy chapter 17, so just a reminder, we saw that the king was severely limited. He was severely limited. He, he could be a king like all the other nations, except could not have a cavalry could not make foreign marriage alliances, could not have political dealings with Egypt, could not acquire great wealth, could not consider himself even above his brothers, but rather was told to meditate on the law of God, which teaches that God is supreme over him and that he is subject to God's authority. And the, the measure of him being a good king is not in his power and his, his military victories and the building projects that he can, he can build, the great glory, outward glory of the kingdom, the judge of whether or not he is a good king is merely, was he obedient to God? Did he lead the people in the ways of righteousness? When there was wickedness, did he punish that wickedness? And when, when there was righteousness, did he, in fact, reward that righteousness? That is what the king is to do. You, you think of what... Uh, what um, any of these kings, if, if they receive the instructions of Deuteronomy 17, this, this severe kind of limitations, you, you'll see that if you look, for instance, at Solomon, Solomon broke through all of these. There's not, not a single one that Solomon uh, abided by. It was an outwardly glorious kingdom. But notice, almost nothing that Solomon did would have been possible if he would have been obedient to Deuteronomy chapter 17. It would not have been possible. You think of the kinds of things that our government tries to do for its people. You know, the eradication of poverty, how, how could a government in Israel possibly do that if it can't even acquire wealth for itself? You know, even the idea of it being the, the main place that you hope for deliverance from foreign enemies, the, the idea that, that at, in old age that the government's going to be able to provide for all your needs, the government can't even raise, raise funds. It, it can't even, it can't even have, uh, it can't even have uh, political dealings with the strongest nations in the world. They were taught merely to rely on God. That is what they, uh, they were taught to do. Uh, and uh, this, is, this then again means that there is a basic principle of a limited government. If you were to ask, uh, what's the nature of the limitation of this government? This is important to understand because uh, there, there is confusion about this today. There are, there are some conservative movements politically that will um, argue for limited government in a certain realm that is really not actually the way in which the Bible describes a limited government. It would have been foreign, for instance, to Samuel Rutherford with, with uh, his book Lex Rex and the, the limited government that is found there. Uh, the, the fundamental question with regard to the limitation of the government is, is this. Is the government or the king subject to a law higher than itself which limits it or not? That is the fundamental question. Is, and this was, this was uh, argued in the 17th century with the, the Latin phrase, the, the two options, Lex Rex, or rex lex. Lex means law, rex means king. Lex rex is the position that the law is king. 
that there is nothing above the law. The reason is because God is the ultimate lawgiver. He's given a law that all people are subject to, no matter how strong and mighty you are. Therefore, the king is under the law. He's subject to a law above him because there is an authority above him. The other view is the idea that, that, uh, of rex lex, the idea that the king is the law. The idea is that there is no authority over the king. The king makes the law and whatever he says goes. There's no check on this. And the reason why there, can, there is no check is because, again, there is no recognition of a higher authority uh, above the king. He, he, is, he, he is the law. Uh, and we see then that uh, Samuel Rutherford, as I mentioned, uh, he, was, uh, he was a theologian primarily, uh, writing a, you could call it a political treatise, but really it's just an exposition of the Bible uh, on this particular question. He's writing predominantly theological works. He was one of the Westminster divines at the Westminster Assembly, and uh, he argues for the principle of lex rex, be the, the law is king, merely on the basis of Scripture. And again, the point is that the Bible teaches that this is the kind of government uh, that we are to have. And so uh, whether or not we have the argument about you know, democracy or republic or even a kingship, the point is that every form of government that is uh, good and righteous, valid in this sense, that it is going to be a government that is limited. It's going to recognize that there's a reason why democracy or republic was, was favored at, at one point, is because it, it inherently limits. It inherently limits the king because there's a recognition of a, a higher standard. And brothers and sisters, this is something that Christians have believed uh, all the way uh, through the centuries. Uh, you think of the Magna Carta, issued in 1215, where King John was forced uh, to sign it, and this began the, uh, the uh, constitutional monarchy, the idea that there's a constitution above the king, so laws above the king. This would be contrasted with an absolute monarchy where the king is above the law. It's this exact question. What important thing to note is that the Magna Carta was um, something that was fought for by Christians. Christians were arguing for the limitation of the government because they said the Bible teaches a limited government. And a righteous government is going to be one where the king is limited. This is what we see even in our own country. There are checks and balances. We, uh, what it's supposed to be is that the Constitution is higher than the president. There's a limitation on terms. There's built a, uh, all this, these things are built upon the Christian principle that there is a limited government recognizing that we are one nation under God. Now, you'll notice then, in terms of this understanding of a limited government, um, there's no way to understand a, this limited government without understanding our relationship to God, which is the reason why a politically conservative movement that does not publicly recognize God, which is not built upon true repentance and faith, is ultimately only going to be a speed bump on the way to tyranny. There, there, there can be, you cannot have a limited government that, that lasts, that is good, that is biblical, if you rip the foundation from uh, what makes it limited. And what makes it limited is a recognition of God, is a recognition of the one true living God, that you are subject to him, that there is, in fact, one lawgiver who has given to us laws that are good and right, and, and it is these laws that must be uh, upheld, these principles that are found predominantly in, in the Ten Commandments. And so this is why uh, some people who argue things like, um, again, not to get too far into politics, but just as an example of how to apply this principle, some will say, you know, based on a limited government, we are to, uh, you know, not support laws against abortion, something like that. Problem is that abortion is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. God says that the government is to punish the wicked, and he's defined what that is. Murder is, 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 uh, is a violation of his commands. It's a violation of the principles of justice that he has put, it, put in place. 
Every single person in government in the world is under uh, that, uh, uh, that authority. And therefore, to fail to punish those who murder is in fact a violation of justice and it's a perversion of what uh, of what God of the purpose for which God has made uh, the civil government, and so th this is this is the framework then that, that ought to help us to understand um, what 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 a Christian view of a limited government uh, actually means. It is limited in the sense of it recognizes a higher authority and it recognizes the limited nature of what it is to do, which is punish the wicked and to reward. The righteous. It 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 it, it should not try to delve into uh, more than that in order to uh, in order to affect some sort of utopia. Uh, we are to rely on God. Now, brothers and sisters, all these things are important because as this country turns away from God, there will be a greater and greater push to have a government like all the nations. And the point that's being made in First Samuel eight, the point that I'm trying to make in these sermons, is that. This is a temptation from Satan that constitutes idolatry if we give in. We, we have to recognize that there is going to be a, a gradual, there has been this, this gradual increase that is, that is coming. And it's, and it's been uh, parallel to our country uh, turning away uh, from God. What we are to do, therefore, is to recognize these principles. And as we come to these sorts of, of deceptions from Satan, we are to, to recognize that God himself is our king, that we are to look to him to provide for us. Now, let me, let me just give uh, one qualification that may be uh, thought of, um, people may be thinking about in light of this, this, this uh, sermon. Um, I, I'm not so much speaking about whether or not a Christian should uh, make use of things that the government ha is, uh, is giving and providing. Uh, one of the, the problems is that um, if the government attempts to do things it shouldn't do, then it's going to tax its citizens too much, which prevents citizens from um, looking anywhere else but the government. That's, that's the, the way the pitch works. So, uh, that, that's, uh, so I'm, I'm, there is a wisdom with regard to what we make use of as Christians. And it's not to say that we make use of nothing, but even as we were to make use of certain things in wisdom, we were to recognize that ultimately these things are not biblical. They are they're not biblical. We, we are to, if, if, if there is a way to support another, another way, it would be good. Uh, what we are ultimately to do is to recognize that we are citizens of another kingdom. And in this kingdom, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the king and he is the only one who rules absolutely. He's the only one that rules absolutely. And because of that, when we think about our own needs, he is actually our God. He is actually our God and he will provide for us. Even when it looks like all the nations have turned against God and against his Christ and against the church, we are to recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ, even as it looks like we are weak, we are to recognize that in fact the Lord Jesus Christ will win the victory on the, on the last day and we are to follow him even if it means uh, great suffering. Uh, let's pray. Father, we do... Uh, Lord, we, we do uh, pray for, uh, for our country. Uh, we, we recognize that there is a, um, Lord, that, that our country is going in the wrong direction in so many different ways. And uh, Lord, help us to recognize um, uh, this way uh, with regard to being disobedient to what, your, what the scriptures say, uh, with regard to the form of government that we are to have. We do ask that you would grant, uh, that you would grant the fear of yourself to those who are in power that even as we see so many people sinning uh, so recklessly and boldly against you, 
perverting your law without a second thought to it and enshrining those perversions into law. Uh, Lord, how we do pray that you would grant uh, repentance, that there would be a true humbling to know that all those who are in power will be subject to the judgment on the last day and that they will be accountable uh, for their perversions of justice uh, that they have uh, done while in power. Father, we do pray that you would grant us wisdom to know how to, uh, to recognize the temptations of Satan, to give us wisdom, Lord, as we are in a very difficult um, situation trying to uh, navigate, uh, making use of things that the, that the government shouldn't be doing or, uh, or trying to figure out where, where to reject things and uh, what we are to do. We do pray that you would grant us this wisdom. Uh, but, Lord, uh, as this, is, this all really is more evidence of the great need for the preaching of your word, preaching of the gospel, we do pray that you would grant the outpouring of your spirit, O God, that we might not make the same mistakes that the people of God did in 1 Samuel chapter 8, that we would not uh, harden our hearts and, and ask for a government uh, that will ultimately be idolatrous and be, uh, bring in tyranny. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.